Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Royal Woman podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either, but in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon. Are you ready to be inspired and connected, empowered and equipped to live your best rural life and grow your wildest business dreams? Hi, we're Jan and Erin Johnson, co-founders of Trailblazer Co., And we want to tell you about an online community you never knew you needed until now. It's the Trailblazer Collective membership created just for you. The rural woman who is doing all the things and working hard to grow a business at the same time. Check us out at trailblazerco.com. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Liana Maximiuk. Liana, along with her family, own Lone Sequoia Ranch just outside of Lumley, British Columbia. As a first-generation rancher, she wasn't even sure she wanted sheep, but accidentally fell in love with her daughter's 4-HU, and that was it. Her flock of Navajo churro sheep make up the majority of the sheep she cares for, and growing sought-after wool is a top priority. After selling out her own wool clip and learning that so many local farmers were composting their wool instead of processing it, Liana decided to seek out this compost, and garbage-destined wool, and started Waste Not Wool. She purchases and takes the unwanted fleece, processes it, and sells it as roving and yarn. It is an important part of her journey into wool to share the value that all wool has with her followers and her customers. I am very excited for you all to get to know Liana today and her story. Before we jump in, let's go over this week's listener review. This week's five-star rating and review comes from Wisconsin Beef Girl via Apple Podcast, also known as Katrina. (laughs) This five-star rating and review is titled Amazing Thoughtful Podcast. Easy listening with a variety of agricultural women. From beef farming to livestock guardian dogs, so many amazing guests and an awesome podcast. Well, thank you so much, friend, for leaving your kind rating and review over on Apple. And if you, my friend, would like to leave some kind words over on Apple, I sure would appreciate that. And uh, you can hear them on an upcoming episode of the show. I also want to say a Big hello and welcome to our newest patrons, Sarah V. Uh, Thank you for joining us, as well as my friend Emily. Thank you so much for bumping up your tier. And friends, we have a brand new patron executive producer, 
Carrie Munven, who you heard on the podcast a few short weeks ago. So thank you so much, Carrie and Sarah and Emily, for your support of the show through Patreon. And friends, if you would like to support the Rural Woman podcast and the work that me and my team do here each and every week, we sure would appreciate it. So you can head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Leanna. Leanna, how are you today? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast. I'm excited to get to know you better and to be able to share your story with my audience. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us a bit of your background, who you are, and how you got your start in agriculture. So my name is Liana Maximiuk. I live in Lumbee, British Columbia. My husband, Mark, and my daughters, Poppy and Ola. We got our start here right at the very, very tail end of 2017 in the middle of a snowstorm. Uh, we moved to Lumbee. And so we officially started raising animals in 2018. With the sheep, it started with my daughter, Poppy. We signed her up for 4-H to try and get her to meet some other kids. And she got her first ewe lamb. And then we ended up with two ewe lambs. And I was kind of hooked after that. So that started the whole sheep journey. We don't really have a lot of experience in agriculture. I had backyard chickens at our house when we lived closer to Vancouver, but that was it. And I worked in veterinary medicine as a vet assistant. So I have animal medical stuff in my background, but beyond cats and dogs, that was, uh, that was it. So it was just an interest in animal husbandry that got us to where we are, kind of. <laughs> that is so great. And can I think I've said this in every episode that people talk about their kids in 4-H. I am so jealous of all of the kids who got to be in 4-H growing up. As a city kid, like I was not exposed to this. I didn't even know what it was. And, Me neither. Right? And like they get to have an animal and they get to take care of it and they get to learn all of the things. And then when they sell this animal, they get the money from it. Like, I, I think I'm uh, 4-H's biggest fangirl, like in their 30s. Who <laughs> I always think I wish there was 4-H for adults because I would be in there like right elbows deep. <laughs> I have said this from the get-go uh, and I've made the comment before like I want to be a part of 4-H and people have said like you can be a leader you can be yeah. you know you can teach people things I'm like I know nothing these kids know more than I do they need to teach me what to do. <laughs> it's true and it was really hard like I um, I think I came into like thinking oh we're gonna move to this ranch and I'm going to get alpacas. That was like my initial thought. I'm getting alpacas. We're going to do fiber. And then when Poppy got this you, I was like, I'm, I don't really think I like sheep. Like, I don't know. And with 4-H, the parents aren't supposed to be involved. Like, we're not supposed to feed these animals. We're not supposed to help. We're just supposed to help our children do it. And so it was torture for me to not like go in there and like be with her I'm like no you're poppies I can't be with you and then I was like no I have to get my own sheep that's it right exactly <laughs> but after she went to auction then I got two of my own <laughs> that is so great so yeah 
Poppy's experience with 4-H. Tell us more about that and how she got to interact with new kids and kids that were on farms and ranches and in that lifestyle. Yeah, she was really, really shy at the beginning, obviously, because we were new. And our four, we, our town didn't have a 4-H at the time. So we were actually traveling about an hour to go to a different community. And those kids had all been in 4-H um, together for a long time. And one of the older girls kind of took Poppy under her wing, which was amazing. And that really helped boost the confidence with Poppy for 4-H and then they go to um, a fair which of course now has not happened for a couple of years but the Armstrong IPE the interprovincial exhibition I think it's called was like fabulous and when she was at the IPE her she just blossomed there it was like her element like talking to people and showing her her sheep and being involved was amazing for her and she's always been quite good at doing speeches and those sorts of things so like doing the speech component for 4-H was like amazing for her like she just she did so well and it was it was so nice to see I love it (laughs) that is so good we could probably talk just about 4-H for this whole entire thing (laughs) so tell us more about your ranch and what you are producing there so we have 160 acres here and primarily it's sheep we have a few like little like backyard chickens and we have um, some a few runner ducks they're just here for entertainment purposes mostly <laughs> and our dogs of course but yeah sheep so we primarily raise Navajo churro sheep but we also have a few other breeds in there too I started with Shetland Jacob ewes two of them and we have a Cotswold and we have an Icelandic ram so we have a few kind of outsiders but primarily it's the it's the Navajo churros that we have we raise specific for wool we haven't butchered any of our sheep we've been I guess kind of lucky in that sense that we haven't needed to I've always wool so we just keep them making wool yeah it's wool (laughs) so what made you decide to pick these breeds specifically for your ranch so initially when I was getting started I, I got these Shetland Jacob ewes these two the twin sister use. Honestly, they were from a friend and they were quite inexpensive. And she was like, listen, I just need to rehome these sheep. Do you want them? And I was like, yes, I do. And I knew, <laughs> I knew that people were looking like, I knew that Shetland wool was nice wool. And so I thought, well, I mean, I'll have them. The wool will be worth something or I can use it for my stuff and it'll be nice. And that that's great. Like, we'll just, we'll start here. And then one of them was pregnant that I didn't, I didn't know she was pregnant. So one morning I went to the barn and there was Elfie, our little lamb, (laughs) our weather. And he actually has really, really nice wool. So he, he was just a bonus that we got him. And then when it came to the churros, when I was going to expand, we waited a year with just these two Shetland Jacob ewes and then Alfie just to kind of see what we wanted to do and, you know, what we could, what I was going to look for in wool. Cause I was looking for wool characteristics, but because we live in the North Okanagan and it's, it's, it's cold here. Like the winters are cold. They're really snowy. The summers are hot and getting hotter. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that whatever breed we had was going to be okay in our climate. And so, you know, we have grass, but sometimes it's not the best quality grass because the summers are so dry. So I was looking for a breed that would do well on sparser grass and you know didn't need to eat as much. And when I started looking at breeds, the more like they call them primitive breeds. So like the Shetlands, Icelandics, Jacobs, Navajo, Churro, and some of the other ones were really 
kind of fitting into this perfect, they kind of were painting this like perfect picture of like what really well here. And I really liked the churros because of their staple length. Like they have amazingly long fiber, like it's ridiculously long and all the other aspects, like they're good mothers, like easy lammers because they eat sparser grass. They eat a little bit less. It was just all these good things. And then came the fact that there's hardly any churros. <laughs> there's no Navajo churros. So it was really hard to track them down. And I found someone in Alberta that had them. And it turned into like this nine month conversation of like, I really want these sheep from you. Will you please sell them to me? And so we, we built a relationship with him and we got them in 2020 and they've been amazing. Very different from our other sheep. Like they're a bit more flighty. They have that more survival instinct. I would say they stick together. They're a team always like they're never apart from each other, which is really cool to see. It makes them a little bit harder to work with sometimes, but yeah, it's worth it. They're amazing. I love them. (laughs) Yeah, they are just such a neat breed. I was able to interview another rancher. She's down in Oregon and Mickey has had these sheep for quite some time now and they're just a really neat breed and obviously you know they are not very common here in Canada and I didn't even I didn't even know we had some in Alberta so I'll have to not very many (laughs) no not very many at all so you're also working to preserve this breed so how how do you go about that how do you make sure to keep the integrity of this breed and keep this lifeline going to ensure, you know, the sheep stay around for a long time. It's it's hard because we don't have a lot of genetic diversity in our in our the ones that we have in Canada, unfortunately. And because of the way that it works with the scrapey program and the border, we really really hard to get import rams to get new breeding stock makes it really difficult i think it's important for us to be trying to preserve this breed only because they have such a long like genetic history and any any old lines of of sheep genetics to keep in the system are a good thing like it's good to keep these old primitive like really strong hardy breeds going but it it does prove really difficult and i don't know like if and when we're going to be able to get new genetics. And it it makes me a little bit sad because I don't know what that means for like the future of our flocks here. I mean, technically speaking, the majority of these sheep are in the southwestern part of the United States, which is where they belong. They belong with the Navajo people. The line that I have has been in Canada for about 25 years. So, you know, it was easier to get them in then. And, you know, if we can't get them in and they just belong down in the States, that's where they belong. So I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like for us, but we'll, we'll do our best. We'll try. Right. Well, and that's the best that you can do, right? You can only do your best and try and keep the healthiest bloodlines that you can and just try and preserve them. Yeah, exactly. I have a ram now, like the the fellow in Alberta has a ram and I have a ram now from him. There will be a little bit of line breeding happening and you can do that to a certain extent before it becomes like inbreeding, inbreeding. So, you know, we'll get a line or two out of him and then, you know, we won't do any more with that because it's just, it's not the right thing to do. But yeah, so we'll just, we'll just 
plug along and enjoy them while we can have them and keep them. And if things open up and someone in the States wants to be part of the Scrapey program and we can share, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, we're getting your story out there. And, you know, the Rural Woman podcast is listened to all over the world. So, yeah. you know. Hey, if, any, if anybody in Canada has Navajo trails, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've done some cold calling. We haven't found very many other ones. So yeah, we're looking. <laughs> yeah. So tell me more about, you know, your mission of having this wool and this fiber. You said that you potentially wanted to start your ranch and do alpacas for their fiber. Why was it important for you to have a ranch and have this fiber to produce? I have always really liked doing like fiber type crafts not knitting specifically, but weaving and, you know, just using wool and doing things with wool. And I honestly was looking for a way to have animals that didn't necessarily mean specifically that we had to have meat animals because the like soft hearted part of me doesn't want to butcher my own animals. But anyway, wool just seemed like an easy way to go. And then with the sheep, after I really decided I liked sheep when Poppy had them, it was an easy fit for us. We had the right type of fencing and it was an easy thing for us to go to the like having the farm grown wool I think became a passion after I started following and talking to other shepherds that were doing great things with their farm grown wool and it it just turned into this like whole thing (laughs) it's hard for me to explain it's important to me that we're sharing you know, natural fibers and trying to encourage people to like, you know, go a little bit slower with their fashion and go back to things like wool sweaters and wool products. They're amazing. I think that we know that, but we've lost sight of it a little bit. So to encourage people to kind of look back into it and try it again is an amazing opportunity to be part of for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I just even think like we're talking about fast fashion and versus wool and all of the things. I think about the clothing pieces that I own that are made from wool and they're cherished pieces that will outlive me. I have found amazing thrift finds of wool sweaters and all of these things that are, they are old and they smell like mothballs, but you know what? They are pieces that have been crafted and, you know, they'll outlast, you know, your old cheap sweater that you got at Old Navy or wherever it is. So we were chatting a little bit about wool and shearing and all of that thing before we hit record here. And I was sharing that I didn't really understand how much waste there was when it came to wool and wool production coming from off of farms. It wasn't until I made a connection with a local farmer to me and I was able to go out and watch them shear. And they were explaining to me of how much of this wool will actually get used versus how much they're actually paid for this wool. And I was like astounded. So share with us and the listeners what it's like to be a sheep farmer who is using this wool or selling this wool in a typical fashion? So from my perspective, so we have 20 sheep. So for some people, that's a lot. For other people that like I have 
no sheep compared to what some what other people have right so it's everybody's experience is a little bit different because of the numbers that they have for us we our shear comes twice a year for us because the navajo churro wool grows so quickly and so long it when it goes to the mill it can only be a certain staple length so we shear twice a year to keep those staple lengths a little bit shorter so a lot of people don't have to do that but we do when the shearer comes they take the wool off we take it out of where it's being shorn and we put it on a skirting table, which really is a table. Ours is just made of metal. It's like on, what are they called? Sawhorses with a, like a metal has like one inch, one and a half inch squares on it. It's like a mesh. We throw it out on that table, bounce it, try to knock some of the dirt and dust out. We take off the really dirty outside edges, which is called skirting. So it's parts around the bum where there might be, you know, fecal matter. They're called dags, <laughs> where there might be dags, really just dirty bits and really, really short wool that are coming off of the legs and the neck and the head. That all gets kind of thrown away instantly because it's dirty and it's too short. So it's not really good for wool. And then, you know, that wool, once it's picked through, it goes to, you can, I mean, it goes to a mill or you process it yourself. I have always sent it to custom woolen mills in Alberta. They do an amazing job for us. um, I had my brother-in-law lived in Edmonton, so he was like my transport person. So he would just take my wool for me. And then they skirt it again. When it gets to the mill, it gets washed and then carded. Carded is when it goes through like brushes and gets more aligned. So it would go through a carter. And then that's where they send it back to me is once it comes off that carter into roving. It's just like strips of carded wool, like long skinny strips can also be called roping. They send it back to me. And then that is the product that I'm selling to my customers. I was going through all of my stock quite quickly. I didn't know what to expect the first year that I did it. I thought, oh, I could have this wool for two years. I don't know what's going to happen. It sold out really quickly and I had nothing. And then you don't have anything again until you shear again. And then when it goes to the mill, the mill can have it for six months up to a year, depending on the backlog that they're dealing with, because there's only so many mills. And I thought, I have to figure out a way. I wonder if I could buy other people's wool because in our area, specifically in the North Okanagan, we have a really large lamb meat production. People aren't growing sheep for wool. They're growing them for meat. So all of this wool is literally getting shorn and thrown into the compost or taken to the landfill or the dump. And it's such a wasted opportunity for this wool to be used for what it's meant to be used for it. Like wool is not a byproduct. Wool is a product. It's not a byproduct of the meat. It's a product that should be being dealt with, you know, not as a byproduct. I think I've said byproduct five times in that last sentence. (laughs) Oh goodness. Anyways. So I said to my husband, I'm like, I think we should try this. I'm going to see if I can get some other wool and I'll send it when we send our own wool to the mill and let's just see what happens. And I had said, you know, I was going to aim for like 15 fleeces. That's all I I was trying, not going to try and get in over my head. I was going to do 15 and just see what happened. And then last year I ended up doing 75 fleeces, which is like triple of my own clip. Right. And it's been, it, it went over so well. And all that wool is like being made into something instead of just being in the garbage. And I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, and like you said, it's not a byproduct, 
right? No. I'll say it again. Byproduct. Byproduct. Yeah. We can have we could have a drinking game on the Rural Woman podcast. <laughs> But, you know, it's actually being used for something. And obviously, if it's being composted, then it's, you know, being used for something else in a different manner. But like to put it in perspective for these, you know, the meat producers, they're getting like pennies if they are bringing it to a commercial Mm -hmm. wool place, right? Like you're not getting anything for these huge bags of wool. And for me, as somebody who didn't know anything about it, I was like, you guys are doing a whole heck of a lot of work for not a lot of money, which I think that could be the slogan for agriculture in general. But (laughs) yeah, I know. Yeah. Hi, we're Jan and Aaron Johnson, co-founders of Trailblazer Co., a lifestyle and business hub for enterprising rural women. We've created an online community, the Trailblazer Collective Membership, for rural women who are working hard to build great businesses. We can help you feel inspired and equipped to live your best rural life and grow your wildest business dreams. Stop feeling isolated and alone and join together with women just like you who are sharing their successes and challenges. Listen to industry experts providing their best business training and wisdom on relevant business topics. Take part in live dynamic brainstorm sessions and a whole lot more. Let 2022 be your year to get the support and information you need to take your business to its next level. And you can try out our membership free for one month. At checkout, use the code RuralMonthFree and go to trailblazerco.com. So the initiative that you've started is Waste Not Wool. So tell the listeners how they can get their hands on this wool and how they can support you. Yeah. So I sell it through our Etsy shop. We're called Lone Sequoia Shop on Etsy, but you can find all the information through our Instagram, which is Lone Sequoia Ranch. I have a little link tree there, which will take you to all the places you need to go. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's there on Etsy. And I actually have yarn made this year, which is not something I ever thought that I would do. I hand spin myself. I'm a spinner, but I didn't know that I would get enough of the wool to actually turn it into a yarn so we actually have our very first like yarn line which is so exciting and it's like a nice creamy color and it dyes so beautifully it takes on color so wonderfully people are dying in all sorts of crazy colors and making fantastic things like socks and hats out of it so i'm really excited that it it turned into something it went beyond what I thought was ever going to happen. And so like the prospect for 2022 is so exciting to me that I I cannot wait. (laughs) What a neat thing. Like that just blows my mind. You went from a 4-H sheep to now (laughs) spinning yarn from all over the Okanagan and using this product from sheep to make, you know, quality garments that are going to last you know, your customers for a very long time. So bravo. Very cool. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We only buy wool or take wool from people that are in the Okanagan. So any of the wool that you're going to get from me is either directly from my ranch, from my own sheep, or right from our general area. We have enough wool in the Okanagan that I can just, I don't have to focus anywhere else. And people, people message me. They're like, I'm, you know, in the lower mainland, I have 10 sheep. You want my wool? I'm like, I do, but 
I don't, I can't take it. I'm only going to take stuff from the Okanagan because the local aspect of it is very important to us. So if there's anybody listening that lives in the lower mainland, get on it. There's wool down there too, or in Alberta, anywhere. Honestly. <laughs> Just go start talking to people. People literally are like, you take wool? And I'm like, I do. Do you have wool? And they're like, yeah, I have, you know, two sheep. I have been collecting their wool for two or three years. Do you want it? Yeah, I do. I'll come pick it up and I'll bring it home and I'll put in all the work and all the elbow grease to get that wool to where it needs to be to go to the mill. So that is so neat. Yeah. Well, and I just think like for the people who are listening, who are like, this is such a good idea. You can go do this too, right? Like there are people in your area that have this wool that, you know, as a collective, you can take and make a product that, somebody a consumer will buy or you could make the product if if you're a knitter or whatever right so oh, yeah so cool I think it's important too that like the other part of our the other part of the thing with the waste not wool is to showcase that other breeds of sheep I mean I'm really hard on merinos like I really I talk smack about merinos all the time but it's because if you think of wool in your garments that you buy it's merino 100% merino people are looking for merino combed top which is like a beautiful product it really is to spin with it's it's lovely but their merino is just one of the plethora of hundreds of sheep breeds that are also growing wool and every type of wool is good for something it might not be the best to like make into a baby sweater for your newborn but a strong wool is going to be really great for making durable things like horse blankets or rugs gloves like heavy wearing socks for inside your boots like you people need to realize that like there's so many other breeds of wool and that's also one of our things like if you call me and you're like like I made Dorset like I have Dorset wool and people are like oh Dorset it's so lovely once it's cleaned and it's strong and it's beautiful <laughs> I have a soft spot for the strong wools I like the strong wools because that's what Navajo churro is right but I love that I think at some point I need to have like a round table of all of the sheep producers that I've had on the podcast and I need to find a a merino producer because I don't think I have uh interviewed one yet and I think I just need yeah. to sit here and let everybody duke it out of like <laughs> what breed <laughs> We would all get along beautifully, right. but I just like Merino, Merino, because of the New Zealand and Australian Merino, they are king. Like that's what all the, the lovely, you know, really expensive, you know, sweaters are made of Merino because it's, it's beautiful. It is like, there's no denying it, but there's a lot of other sheep that we need to show that, that their wool is good too. It's true. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. Team sheep all the way. There you go. <laughs> well, I want to shift focus a little bit more to your local area right now. We're recording this in the beginning of December and the BC has experienced some devastating floods. You yourself are safe, but tell us more about what's been happening in your area and what uh, what you've been seeing. Yeah, for sure. So we are okay where we are. I would say the closest town to us that's probably struggling right now is Merritt. And that's about a 
four-hour drive from us, I would say. They were having a lot of difficulty when the flooding initially started. Right now, some other towns in the more like Fraser Valley, like Princeton and Hope, they're the ones that are having the worst trouble at the moment. The flooding is continuing because we keep having these atmospheric rivers, which, I mean, I had never heard of an atmospheric river in my 42 years until like a few weeks ago, they're they're in major trouble. And and all like Abbotsford, the Sumas Flat area, that's where we moved from four years ago. We lived in a town called Alder Grove, but not far, is about 30, 35 minutes to the the flats there in Sumas. There there's a lot of water. It's it's really bad. Really, yeah. really bad. Well, And I just, from Alberta, we see what we see on the news and they're able to interview a few producers and everything. But, you know, as a a person in agriculture, you just hear these stories and it's just absolutely heartbreaking the decisions that these farmers are having to make. And I, I don't know if I would be strong enough to do it. I don't know that I would be strong enough to deal with it or to try to deal, like to try and rebuild from it. And I was listening on the radio, there was a fellow that was a poultry producer. And he said that initially when the floods happened, I guess it's two weeks ago now, right? He said that the trucks were coming to get his chickens to be picked up at eight o'clock and the highway got closed at six. And he said, he's like, my barn is underwater. There are 40,000 chickens that should have been processed like it was two hours between the truck coming and the highway getting closed they all would have been processed for you know meals and food and he's like and now my barn is just waterlogged and there's these forty thousand birds just floating in it and i i cannot even fathom a dozen birds let alone forty thousand birds and the cows coming out of these barns with like the jet skis and like oh man I can't even. No, it's absolutely devastating. Yeah. Or the ground crops. Like, I can't. Like, how? Oh, my God. Well, and after the summer that BC, well, and really anywhere in North America had, we had a really hard year. It was really hot. And there was no moisture. There was wildfires that decimated towns and all of these things. And all of these, you know, major events that have been happening that affect our industry. It is devastating. And I feel like everyone has just taken a beating. And, you know, I just say we just, we do it again next year and hope that there's some type of difference. But, you know, I'm not to go down the huge rabbit hole of, you know, climate and whatever else, like there's people way more intelligent than me when it comes to those things. And But I, I really feel for the people in BC right now. Thank you. So Liana, you are relatively newer in farming and in the agriculture industry. Tell me what it's like, you know, bringing your family and raising your kids in this lifestyle. I would say initially it was hard. <laughs> I mean, Poppy was like 11 when we moved here, very much a city girl, like shopping, all the things. And it's like, we, we're an hour away from like the closest mall, you know? So that was, that was something to get used to. Yeah. I mean, we do our best. Our younger daughter has Down syndrome and is autistic. And so, you know, our farming life is a little bit different 
than maybe some other families would be. We take things a lot slower. Some days when it feels like we have to like hustle and rush and get a million jobs done, it's not happening. We need to just take a breath, slow it down, you know, work with however she needs to work that day. And, you know, we just, we get stuff done. Sometimes it just takes a little bit longer. Yeah. I would say everybody's really stepped up to the plate and has done a good job transitioning from city life, (laughs) city life to rural life. And it's been amazing. I, I said, I say to Mark all the time, like, this is the best thing we could have done for our family getting out of the city. It was really good therapy wise and stuff for Ola, but really dangerous in other aspects. Like we lived on a busy road and she, you know, would run out on the road and all those things here, all that stuff is not we don't have to worry about that here she can run and play and have fun and dig in the dirt and do whatever she wants and she's safe and that was the most that was the most important thing for us yeah yeah that is so great how has ola been with the animals because i know a lot of therapy is done with animals does she relate to them is she close with them or is she like get me away from them i don't want to be around them (laughs) So she really likes talk about the fact that we have animals. She likes to tell everybody that we have sheep and chickens and all that stuff. But her her animal is our cat, Charlie. It, that her and Charlie are like two peas in a pod. She is my like video game techie kid. Her and her cat with her switch on the couch is like her favorite place to be. She doesn't do well with a kind of sporadic random animal noises so like if we're outside and a rooster crows unexpectedly she's like nah I don't like it like I don't want it but she does she does well we've we've made some modifications like if if we need to be working outside she'll wear her like big kind of like earmuffs to try and like muffle some of the noise and you know if she doesn't want to specifically be helping with whatever task we're working on at the time we just try to keep her busy and just keep her outside with us because fresh air is the best but yeah she's definitely my quiet my quiet kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can relate to, uh, well, it sounds like she is really a cat rancher at heart. So, yes, <laughs> yes. which I can relate. <laughs> yes. If she had, yeah, I don't know if she had a couple cats or even, yeah, that could sit on her lap. She said, like, it's so cute. They sit on the couch and Charlie, Charlie sits on the the arm of the couch and he just sits there and purrs and she just pets him and then plays her game for a minute and pets him and you know like that, that's her that's her most favorite place to be. I yeah. get it. I yeah, yeah I get it. <laughs> that's a great connection for her to have. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners who also may have special needs children on the farm? You know, advice for them. Anything that you just want to say. I would say just embrace the the slowness and the speed that you have to go to get your stuff accomplished. I always find that there's this pressure, like we have to hustle. We don't have to hustle. We can take our time. We can, you know, help our kids adapt and, you know, thrive in these environments too. And some kids do. Like I know, I know Ola is, you know, needs that quieter time. I know some kids thrive on farms and they love it, but you just got to do you. Just make it work for whatever you need to do. And I mean, we need to leave the farm and go for therapy and all of those things. And then the farm jobs wait and we do it when we get home, right? Right. Yeah. Just yeah. embrace I, the life that you have and, yeah. you know, 
And don't let people tell you that you can't do it. Like when we were talking about moving, there was conversations with family and friends that were like, you're crazy. You're going to take her out into the middle of nowhere. We're not in the middle of nowhere. We're, we're, we're close enough to town, but like, you're going to take her away from all these therapies and all these things. And it's like, no, like it's all available still. It's all doable. You just have to make sure that you're willing to like put in the effort to drive to town to go to therapy. Right. Yeah. Don't let people tell you, you can't do it. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> do whatever you want. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> you do you. You go to those farms and raise those animals and still have your children. It's all good. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was so yeah. good. Liana, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. You are just a light and I have really enjoyed getting to chat with you today. For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? I would tell them just go to Instagram. That's where I mostly am at Lone Sequoia Ranch. And uh, like I said, there's a link tree there. So you can find our you can find our Etsy shop there and hopefully at some point a website, but we're not quite there yet. But Instagram is my favorite place to be. <laughs> Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Allison Weaver of Allison Weaver, Her Story, along with her team, have created Navigate. Navigate is a day planner for women in agriculture and rural women. Navigate started as Allison was working in the garden, wishing she had created a garden map. From there, it has flourished, bringing together a community of like-minded women and making connections across the globe. Allison loved day planners, making lists, and journals. She has always been searching for a planner that would incorporate every aspect of her life on the farm housed in one place. After sharing the idea of creating a planner of her own with her daughter, they created Navigate. Navigate has everything from weekly planning, journaling, record keeping, and agricultural household resources. Navigate will be a great tool for your toolbox in 2022. To learn more and to grab your copy of the Navigate 2022 Planner, head to the link in today's show notes or alisonweaver.com. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman Podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer Podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. 
When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.